Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Muhammadai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles, define your own success, and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome to Cafe with Romina podcast. You guys, Cafe with Romina podcast, this is your favorite podcast, Drew Romina, and I want to welcome you guys to our show. If this is your first time ever tuning in, welcome to our podcast. And if you are one of our loyal listeners, welcome back, you guys. I know I've missed the last two weeks and I want to apologize, but I've been having some health issues. Therefore, my energy was not the best to where it normally is that I sound like I've had a lot of coffee because I love coffee, but it was sounding more like I needed to sleep for like a month. <laughs> well, we are back to normal, you guys, and I'm super uh, duper excited for today's episode, as a matter of fact, and this is one of those episodes that I don't think it would have been like a much better comeback with any other episodes, because we are going to talk about leveraging behavior economics to scale your business with our amazing guest, Melina Palmer. Before we do jump to today's episode, you guys, I just want to remind you really quick to go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast juice from. And if it is Apple Podcasts, as a matter of fact, go ahead and give us a five-star review and tell us how amazing we are doing. We love to hear from you. That is one of my favorite things, you guys. When I read the comments and get to see which episode was your favorite episode, it just makes my day. But also, you know how Apple Podcasts works. We need to push this podcast on the top 100 charts like we've been hitting recently to make sure that we stay there. So give us the five-star review and a short comment. Let's actually talk a little bit about today's episode. Malena Palmer is the founder and the CEO of The Brady Business, which provides behavior economics consulting to businesses of all sizes around the world. And her podcast, actually, The Brady Business, it's absolutely one of those podcasts you guys should definitely listen to. And if you don't trust me, well, let me just give you some cool facts about it. Number one, it's downloaded from over 160 countries. Inc. Magazine ranked it in the top 10 best business podcasts to help your company thrive. And also, Stitchers ranked it as number one psychology podcast every business person should listen to. So I'm just prepping you guys up because this episode will be amazing. And honestly, this episode is for my marketing and salespeople out there my resilient business owners, and for the customers. So really, almost everybody, honestly. In this episode, Melina helps us understand and learn how successful businesses are leveraging behavior economics to stimulate our buying decisions and what can we do to take control on our own hands and take to practice the best strategies to increase our own sales for our own businesses. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? We also talk about mistakes to avoid in the business world to not push our clients and break their behaviors by actually orienting them to our competitor. That's something we definitely don't want to do, right? I don't want to spoil the episode anymore, you guys. So without losing any more time, let's actually just dive in in today's episode. I have nothing more to say, but enjoy! Hi, Melina. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm super excited about this episode. As a matter of fact, as I love your podcast and your voice on your podcast is like 
the business negotiating brainy jazz type of style. It's really awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I'll pass on the mic to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you go about being at the career that you have right now? Actually, I had planned to be a professional singer for most of my young life, which I think has contributed to often where I get told I have a voice for podcasting or radio or, or whatever. But I decided to go to business school and got a degree in marketing and worked in brand strategy for years. When I was in my undergrad, though, there was this you know one tiny section of one course that had this little tiny bit about the psychology of buying decisions and why people make choices. And I was totally hooked and fascinated and amazed. And I knew I had said right then, you know, when I go back to school, I'm going to get a master's in this. Like MBA is not for me. This is what I want to find. And I spent the better part of 10 years looking and calling schools and nobody had a program. They told me it didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. And so just sort of was working in my career and doing innovation groups and whatnot. And then was at a conference and they brought in some people from what's called the Center for Advanced Hindsight which is the behavioral economics wing at Duke University. And I knew I had found what I'd been looking for. So I ended up leaving my corporate job and getting my master's in behavioral economics and launching my consultancy and podcast and all the things. So in a nutshell of what it is that I do and knowing that the question might come of what behavioral economics is... <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's clarify that portion. <laughs> yes. And I know as a marketing person, they first told me that was what it was called. I thought economics, like, no, that can't be right. But essentially, it's the psychology of why people buy and understanding the brain and what it actually does in what, instead of what we think it should be doing. And because what science and studies have found over the years is that 99% of the decisions that we make every single day are done by our subconscious brain. So we think we're in control and we know everything and we're being uber logical all the time. But really, the subconscious is running the show using rules of thumb and biases that have worked for it over time. And it impacts the choices that we make, whether we realize it or not. And so what behavioral economics allows us to do is to understand those underlying concepts of what people are likely to do, because even though they're not always logical, they're very predictable. And so understanding those rules of the brain and then implementing them into communication so that you can be more effective. That's really what I share on the podcast and in my consultancy. I mean, you would think the school would definitely touch that part a lot more, especially if you're talking marketing. It's getting a little bit of traction now. But, you know, when I started my master's in behavioral economics, I went to a school of psychology for that. And I knew I was early, but I was shocked to find just how early I was when you look at the business side of things and things that were so clear to me about how behavioral economics relates to communication and brand strategy and pricing integration and internal communication and change management just wasn't being talked about anywhere. And so that's why I decided to, to do it myself. You know, I teach at Texas A&M University in that space and again, yeah, podcast and helping businesses to see where they can make these small changes in the way that they present information that can make a really, really huge difference. I see. Perfect. So how do you market, talking about marketing, how do you market a product by answering the questions to the customer without asking those questions? 
Can you study that through behaviors, through habits of the customer? So there's just a little bit of trying to get into the mindset of what they want. If you've done any work in marketing ever, you've probably heard the features versus benefits argument. And it's a really easy thing to say that you don't want to be communicating features. You just want to be talking benefits. But understanding why and and what that means is really helpful in being able to say that. I like to give the example of State Farm Insurance. They could have picked so many things to talk about. They have a huge array of products and services and features that could be discussed. But they came out with the three o'clock in the morning and you call and the guy's in wearing khakis and it's Jake from State Farm, right? And people remember this commercial. It's years and years old. This is a prime example of being able to take the story that explains a problem and the benefit to somebody. How many insurance agencies or anyone else can say, we have 24-hour claim service, which is okay, right? That doesn't it's really a, mean... one of the things to, yeah, to have. It's, right. It's just one thing on a list and who cares? But this is showcasing that at 3 a.m. when I'm stuck awake and it's the only time that my, I can't shut my brain off because I'm thinking I need to call the insurance company. I can just do it right now because Jake is going to be there and he's ready to pick up the phone. That is making a tangible, relatable item. And again, they could have said, and we have A, B, C, D, all these things. We do all like list, 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 list of features. And it wouldn't have had the same impact, but it hooks you with this one thing that solves a problem that everybody already has and just makes it easy. Then can learn about all the other stuff along the way. But something small that solves a problem that I didn't even need to articulate is something that can be really beneficial for businesses. So it's something that would be stamped in the brain towards this is something that we offer. This is the example. Because again, visuality, like being visual, seeing it instead of just one more thing on the, on the list. Right. And that's where people don't necessarily have to be able to say, you know, what does this commercial tell you? And to say, hmm, well, you know, I realized that. The thing is, our subconscious and conscious brains, while it's all in the same place, they don't speak the same language. Mm -hmm. So subconscious is really drawn in by story and by imagery, doesn't take on language as well as the conscious brain does. And so studies have shown where you do you know, a scan of the brain and you show someone an advertisement, and you can see what's lighting up different sections. And then you ask them questions and say, well, what did you think at this point? Or what did you like about it? You can essentially watch the brain lie to itself as it's trying to explain what happened, because you're asking the conscious area of the brain what the subconscious did, and it has no idea. So it's trying to write a story about what was going on based on what it thinks, again, should have been happening and what they must have cared about, but it's often wrong. And so being able to understand what's happening in the brain and knowing that people can't tell you <laughs> what they're thinking, they're not intentionally lying when you know people do a focus group and say that they would use your toothpaste if it had baking soda in it and then they don't buy it. It's not trying to be deceptive, but they just truly don't know what's swaying their brain. And it could be shiny packaging in the aisle. 
This show is sponsored by Sales Law of Averages online course. The course is a business development course teaching sales professionals and entrepreneurs how to master their sales funnel through sales and negotiation techniques. We all work hard on our leads, but unfortunately often fail to convert those leads to sales. Well, now you can say goodbye to those days. Order the course today at connectwithromina.com forward slash courses to get a deep discount. Receive access to over 40 videos, five hours of training material, and study even movie negotiation scenes today for just $79. Use the promo code Romina, which is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Again, the website is connectwithromina.com forward slash courses and use the promo code Romina that's spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Master your sales today. That is interesting though because we did have an episode with a storyteller master as well and she was talking about the decision making and the power of storytelling mm-hmm. and how to ramp up the story and build that impulse in order to actually convert that client at the end of the day. So that is something very powerful, too, towards, you know, making the decision for behavior economics as well. And I would suggest the audience to also listen to Michelle's episode as well for that. But I did see your YouTube video. I have to say I love it. And I actually uh, loved one of the presentations that you did where you talk about people are not logical, but they are predictable. Can you talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, so that is really the foundation of the field. And so things that we think we should be doing, we we don't uh, per se. And as I was talking about how the subconscious and conscious are running, you know, often I get questions like, you know, we talk about it as two systems, but does that mean, you know, if one's on the other's off and is it like left brain and right brain of which neither of those is true, really the way that it works. I like to think about your subconscious brain like the gatekeeper or a receptionist if you're trying to get a meeting with a busy executive. It's scanning the world around to try and say, I have a rule for that. I know how Mm -hmm. to do this. I know how to do that. And you don't lift things up to that conscious brain unless it's really, really critically important. And so the rules that the subconscious wants to use have worked for it in past situations. And it may think, this makes sense here. But on a conscious level, it it really doesn't. You know, it's applying something that's silly maybe when you look at it. You know, an example being, I know before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about a concept called anchoring. And so numbers can have a really big impact on us. And even just to use an example during the pandemic where putting limits on things like meat. And I remember seeing that, all the stores were going to be limiting that you could only buy three items of meat at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And I knew immediately that was this happening. was going to be a problem. <laughs> and like, well, that's going to sell out even if it wouldn't have otherwise, because our brains are driven by scarcity. Uh, we're looking at herding and seeing what we think other people are going to do. And even if I wasn't going to buy meat this week, When I see there's a limit of three, I'm expecting that everyone else is going to buy and not because I need it, but I might as well just stock up and buy what I want and I'm going to have extra meat in my freezer. And you know what? I'm going to go over to the other store as well and I'm going to get three over there and I'm going to get three over there to make sure Even that I'm set. Even if you barely eat meat because <laughs> right. it's, it's those sources, like it's, it's anchoring it. But let me put you this though, from a customer's perspective. How can we understand when we're being anchored? Like you understood that, for example, because you specialize on it. 
but how can we understand it from the customer's perspective so we don't fall into the strategy and spend more than we should? Right. So there are a couple of things that happen commonly with numbers. So that limit is something Mm -hmm. that will make people buy more. And that's actually been tested with, say, you know, cans of soup are on sale for 10 cents off or whatever. And when there's no limit, people buy, you know, say an average of three, three and a half cans of soup. And then when they had a limit, it says limit 12, of which the other way is unlimited. So why would putting a limit make me buy more? But people buy twice as many cans when that's set up. This is also why, you know, when yogurt is 10 for $10 instead of $1 each, we buy more because that anchor of 10 is put into our head. It feels like you have to buy 10 or you maybe you decide to buy six because it had that number of 10 put into your brain and you assume everyone must be buying 10. So I'm going to do that too. So those sorts of things make a difference. Another common thing that you may see is um, when you go into an electronic store, let's say, and they have a $5,000 television at the very front of the store. And then you get to the back and you see there's a $3,500 TV and a $2,500 TV and a $1,000 TV. That $5,000 item at the front, they're not trying to sell you that TV. Like they'd be happy if you bought it, but it's at the front because it's setting that anchor of price. And then when you see the others where you maybe would have been getting the $1,000 TV, Or the 2,500, you know, the 3,500 seems much more reasonable now because you were anchored on a $5,000 television at the front of the store. So doing your research and knowing what your budgets are and what it is that you want before you go is a really good tip for any sort of store and not to let yourself impulse buy if that's something you have had difficulty with in the past, especially as our brains get overwhelmed, which happens very, very quickly, especially in a pandemic world where we're, we're stressed and not sure about when kids are going back to school and when am I going to be going back to work and our habits have all been upended. There's a lot going on in your brain, which means it's using up the limited cognitive conscious space of what you have. And so subconscious is going, that looks good. Oh, I want it. We should get a new TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and is wanting to take on all these things that are giving it a rush of brain chemicals that it really wants. And so if you don't properly plan, you don't go into the store with a list, you know, you think I'm just going to remember these 10 items when I go in here, uh, that just doesn't work out very well. If I may, one of my favorite studies is one that goes into this overwhelmed brain Mm -hmm. space. And so in this study, they had two groups of people and they were having to remember a number as they went through a series of tasks. And then you get to the end and you have to tell the person what your number was. Half of the people were given a two-digit number to remember, and the other half were given a seven-digit number, where we would think, you know, an extra five digits isn't that big of a deal. Phone numbers are seven digits. We we have to remember that so often. We remember so many things all the time that should be easy. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. But one of the tasks along the way was to pick their snack. And that was kind of like your prize or thanks for participating Mm -hmm. gift or whatnot. And those who were remembering the two-digit number were much more likely to choose the healthy fruit salad option. And those remembering the seven-digit number were much more likely to choose chocolate cake as their snack at the end. And it's just those extra five digits making a difference because your conscious brain is tied up with saying, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That looks delicious. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it didn't have the same impact when it was just the words chocolate cake as it did when it was an image or there was actually a physical piece of cake sitting there, which goes to show again, that's your subconscious being drawn in by the smell or that imagery in a way that it knows what's there. It totally wants it. And if your conscious is bogged down even a tiny bit, like trying to remember 10 things on a list when you go to the store, you're going to be more likely to impulse buy and be a victim to your subconscious concepts more than you might otherwise. I love it. And I have a question though. So The Power of Habit is actually one of my favorite books out there. Mm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, because we peep, like through behavior economics, we study the habits, we try to change it and be able to increase the sales and productivity. But can we break down a little bit of how we can start creating new habits on the people in order to increase our own sales? Because we can study and twist it around to influence it, but how can we break it? All these rules of what our brain is doing and all day long of where we keep our cup on the table next to us which hand you use to brush your teeth with, it's all a habit and a rule that your subconscious has going on. So habits are more than, you know, I want to exercise more and eat better, uh, things we think about at resolution time. And so knowing that we have both the habits of ourselves as we're going into needing to sell to people and what we think we need to say, or, you know, you plan you're going to do something and then in the moment you revert to the process that you know doesn't work and you have a hard time training yourself out of it. It's because it's a habit that your subconscious is used to, which is why role playing isn't everyone's favorite thing, but practicing and getting to where you're trained and you know the thing you want to say when you're not in the moment. So when you're put on the spot, it's easier for you is an important piece to be sure. And then as you look at your potential customers or existing customers, if you're trying to get them to change a behavior, looking at what habit exists and where you want to fall, if you're trying to keep them in a habit or if you need them to change a habit, in which case the strategies are very different. So I like to use the example of Cheerios. So say if you were marketing Honey Nut Cheerios and that's your your brand, you have some people who they're Honey Nut Cheerios people. That's Mm -hmm. the only cereal they buy every single time they go in. It's not a, we need cereal and I'm going to peruse the aisle. It's I'm looking for the orange box because I need more Honey Nut Cheerios. And when you're that market leader for them, you don't want to interrupt their habits even a tiny bit because then they might leave and not come back to you. And so giving them, you know, coupons to try frosted Cheerios and chocolate Cheerios and fruity Cheerios and coming up with all these other things to compete may feel like it's an important strategy for you to be getting them to try other things in your mix. Mm -hmm. But if they do try frosted Cheerios and they like them better because there's more sugar there than they're getting in their honey nut, then maybe they think, you know, I might as well go to the source and buy some frosted flakes because if these are good, I bet those are even better. And you've taken a habitual buyer and pushed them out into something. Yeah. And that's just by a simple shift in not realizing how those habits are working to your benefit. Whereas if you're not the market leader, putting in coupons and trying to shake up someone else's habit to get them to try you is a much more important way to go. That has to be very strategically targeted because you can break a habit and lose thousands of clients, like just say like 1000 clients times how much a month times how much, you know, how many per year, 
That is so true that I never thought of it like even just the tw- smallest twisted habit change can actually push them away instead of bring them closer. So you have to be very, very careful when it comes to it. Right. And one thing that I've been telling all my clients and talked about on the podcast all through 2020, and you know, it's going to be the same here for 2021, is while none of us wanted the year that we had, and obviously it would have been better to not have been dealing with a pandemic, looking for a silver lining there where so many habits and a status quo. So we as humans have a bias for the status quo because the brain likes predictability and knowing what's coming. Because that has been upended in so many areas of our lives, we are looking for and open to changes in things that have been habits for a very long time. And so as a business, you have an opportunity to fill a space and get in there real quick while people aren't totally locked into the way things have always been and fill a need that they wouldn't have had. So for many businesses, this has been an opportunity to be able to see gaps and be relevant and get new customers that would never have considered you if all their habits hadn't been completely shifted by our entire way of life completely changing. So let's stick a little bit to it because one of the businesses that boomed extremely in 2020 is Zoom. We're using Mm. Zoom right now and Zoom is phenomenal. Even though they had technical issues, they did get on top of it right away. But one of the main reasons why I love Zoom is because of the mirror, the mirroring effect that it has. So if I have my head like this, I can see it this way compared to like Skype or StreamYard or other services that would actually flip the image and it just kind of messes up your brain. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit, even small things like that towards behavior economics, how, how much would that help a company long term and how to even get to that even smallest detail that you, you don't even think about it. But when you use another product, you're like, Oh, this feels so weird. My body's itching. (laughs) Yes. Anytime I use Facebook live, I think has started allowing you to use the mirror image now, but for a long time they didn't. And I know like WebEx, they don't. And so our brains going to that habit, the only time I see me is in a mirror. And so the way that I look and what seems normal to me actually looks kind of weird to everybody else. And so this is where like taking a selfie and thinking, I look amazing. And everyone else says like, "Eh, I don't know, it's not great. And the picture where you think you look super weird and people say, no, you look fantastic is because they're used to looking at you face to face and you're used to seeing yourself in a mirror. And so Zoom actually defaults to the mirror image option because they know that most people would prefer to be able to see their own mirror image and you're more comfortable in that way. Whereas if like, you know, we're talking the part of my hair is over here. I have a a freckle on the what's my right. Yeah. And when I see it on the other one, it's like just looks bizarre. I feel like I'm like tilted in a weird way where I feel like I'm straight up here. And when I see myself in those, I have to just try to not look at myself at all because I hate the way it looks, but I have to fight my own brain. I did do an episode on the show, which I'm, I'm sure that's how this came up as a conversation. Yeah, I loved it because yeah. I never thought, I never thought of it like that. And then I had an interview on StreamYard and the whole time I'm like itching. I felt so uncomfortable. I was like, and I remember your video. I was like, this is so true. Yep. Just and a so you small just detail, to- just like that. <laughs> Yeah. And you just have to play through the pain in that way and know that you look normal to everybody else. But I shared a picture on all my social channels when I did that episode that it was me in the side by side 
of which was the mirror image on one and asking people, which image do you prefer? And people were saying, it looks so weird. But what's really amazing is even people looking at couldn't tell. Most people didn't say, oh, it's a mirror image. They didn't know what the problem was and, and why it looked strange. But everybody, well over you know 90%, where they were picking the one that they liked was the one that I didn't like, including my kids and my husband and everybody liked the other one. And again, couldn't necessarily articulate what the difference was, but it looked better to them. And so knowing you know, who are you here for? And you want the audience to care, just trying to kind of get out of your own way and allow that to not bother you for when, like, if I'm doing a presentation and someone has hired me and they're doing it over WebEx, eh, you know, I just have to deal (laughs) with it. So yeah. Oh my goodness. Now I do have a very, very curious question. I would say a lot of times whenever you know, companies change prices or they have special promotions and they just end those prices with a seven at the end. Is that a myth that's numbers ending with seven sales more or is that an actual real thing? And what's the what's the process behind it? Yeah, so there's quite a bit of research into this and essentially anything that's going to be below an even number, it's triggering in the brain that there's a discount. So that is important to know for your own business and brand. If you want to be an even number and if you're selling luxury items or if you're looking to be a gift for people, often having that even number is actually working to your favor. So people would rather pay $40 for a bottle of wine than 39 or, you know, 97 or whatever it is because I don't want to skimp you know, in some cases on this nice thing, especially if I'm buying it for someone else. But if you are going with the the discount and wanting that to be a benefit and that people feeling like it's a good deal, whether you choose to end with a five, a nine or a seven or whatever doesn't really make a difference. And so you can pick whichever one works best for you. I like to use nines. I have many friends that go with the sevens. What I just recommend to people is be consistent. You don't want to be like, this one is 498 and that's 597 and this is, you know, 795 or whatever and then you add things together it gets very complicated. So keeping it simple for for you and everybody else that you know every price ends in a, a 7 a 5 a 0 whatever that is uh makes it just easy and consistent. Perfect. And then before we actually jump to the final questions, um I did actually want to touch base also on about the priming. Let's explain a little bit what is priming. Priming is Because our brains are making associations and scanning all the time, just like we're anchoring is actually a prime. So putting that 10 for $10, that number 10 Mm -hmm. is priming me in a choice that I'm going to make down the line. And this does go beyond numbers. So, you know, there's a study that was done where they had people working on projects in a room. And in one room, there was a briefcase in view and the other a backpack and you know nobody saw them or noticed them in the moment. But you know, the people in the briefcase room were more argumentative and combative and secretive than those in the backpack room, which were more cooperative because of what that image holds for us, where we think of, you know, aggressive boardrooms with briefcases versus, you know, backpacks remind us of school and projects we might have been doing in groups and things like that. You also can be primed by, uh, you know, there have been studies about the people holding an iced coffee 
uh, were more likely to think people were cold and difficult and distant than those who were holding a warm drink in their hand in a completely unrelated task, you know, a few moments before. And you can prime with words and so many things. And so knowing that the choices you put into your communication, the way that you share an image where you think, oh, I'm just going to throw this picture on there because I like it. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to work in your favor. Whereas if you think about all the associations of what it could mean, it, it could make a big difference, even if people can't articulate it to you. One of the other examples of this I really love is, you know, people were watching a quick video and it flashed in a so quick that it wasn't able to be detected by the conscious brain a logo of a company. And so half had that quick flash that they couldn't have noticed of the IBM logo, half the Apple logo, and then the teams were working on creative projects. And those who saw the Apple logo were much more creative and innovative in the future project, even though they never saw the logo, Yeah, but it impacted their behavior. So even thinking about what you have around you in your office space, you know, if you have the like hang in there cat or it's another case of the Mondays, sort of a wish it was Friday stuff all around you, your brain is going to be constantly filtering for that and setting your experience down that sort of negative path. Whereas if you want to be more innovative and creative, having a big Apple logo on your wall could actually help you to emulate that behavior in what you're doing day to day without having to consciously think about it. How can a small business use priming, though, towards increasing their sales or towards hitting up and increasing their client base? Yeah. So there is, of course, as I was saying, motivating your own self to be that. But knowing that the words you use in your language on your website or when you're having a conversation with a prospective client makes a difference. And if you don't want to come straight out and say, hey, this is more expensive than you might find somewhere else, because that could really turn someone off. Having a good word choice, I have quite a few clients where I recommend they use the word investment somewhere. If you choose to embark on this investment in your business, right, then it makes our brain think about that in a different way. And you know, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. You're ready for it when it comes, but it's framed in a good way because I've been primed with that word and being able to say, you know, what's the value I'm trying to convey? What is this? If we go back to the Jake from State Farm, what is it that this product or service, what I want someone to really feel in this moment and how can I represent that with a really great image? And in that way to say, this is about, you know, the value, it's about warmth, it's about whatever, but knowing that you need to find that strong image. This is also why you see a lot of work and stuff. You know, I have images of me where I'm holding an arrow that's pointing or I'm looking up and pointing, and then I'll put the words on the podcast episode or whatever it is where I'm pointing or saying, Hey, click this button here and you're pointing at it. Also having the like click subscribe and the actual, you know, mouse goes and clicks the button at the end of a video. That's all triggering our mirror neurons and priming us to take those actions, making it easier. Those are really simple little tricks that you can do to prime the customer to be ready to take the action to buy from you. 
And since you touched base actually on the podcasting, tell us a little bit about your podcast and how that was able to even, you know, uh, help you on your business because it is a whole new technology that is going through podcasting. We are doing a podcast right now. So share yeah. us your experience with the podcasting and correlating them that towards what you stand for in your business. Yeah. So I have had my podcast for, you know, going on three years now, and it's the best thing that I possibly could have done in my own business. I definitely, as I said early, when I was realizing how early I was in the field, my podcast was the first behavioral economics and business podcast that existed for a very long time. And so when anyone would go anywhere and search for behavioral economics and podcast, I was the choice. Yeah. And so it's different for me than in some spaces, but I know that that has really helped as I have, you know, listeners in over 160 countries and clients from there and people reaching out and so many opportunities that have been tied to the podcast. And really the big tip that I give for anyone who's looking to podcast is to know it takes a lot more time than you think it should. And you do need to invest in that. If it's your strategy, you want to be able to go all in on it. And especially early on, I was spending eight hours minimum a week creating the podcast and that's sending it out for editing and having other help with it uh, just to create an episode because of all the research and everything that goes into that. So to have a high quality show that's going to convert and do things for you, you have to be willing to invest in it. So do one thing well instead of a lot of things not so great is my best advice <laughs> in that way. And as far as what my show is, it's called The Brainy Business, same as my company. And it's helping people to understand these concepts of behavioral economics, what it is and how you can use it in business. So there are, if you liked the conversation about priming, there's an entire you know, 45 minute episode of me talking about what it is and the studies and ways you can use it in your business. I also have you know, the top five wording mistakes businesses make, which combine a lot of episodes or concepts. Also, we have, you know, pricing strategy. And I do some interviews with people and looking at things like Starbucks and the behavioral economics analysis of what I see that they do as well as Costco or Apple Peloton and talking about different concepts that they're applying and how you might use that in your own business uh, to help you spot. Like you said, when you go to a store, you see something, you say, hey, they're I trying know what to, you're doing. Right <laughs> yeah, they're, they're using relativity right now you know, that you're able to pick up on it and think about how you might use it in your own business. Do you ever go to a store and just actually enjoy it or your brain is always like, they're doing this and they're doing this. I see what you're doing here. Like, do you like analyze it or do you yes, sit there and I do. enjoy it sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> I, the, I guess the benefit being I do enjoy that over analysis of all the things. My husband is very patient of where I, you know, pre-pandemic traveled a lot. Sure, we will again eventually, but you know, everywhere we are, I'm like, oh, ooh, stop just a second. I need to take a picture of this advertisement because like want to, you know, do an episode or post or something about it. So I love asking those good questions and uh, and digging in on things. So I do that pretty constantly without having to think about it too much. But I do enjoy it. It is fun for me to be evaluating things that way. <laughs> and what is one word? Because you did say some words that, you know, businesses use that, you know, mistakes that they make what if you can get rid of one word in the business world what would that word be so in the way of the those tips it's more about not being too vague and and whatnot 
But one of the things that I really don't like is when people say, does that make sense? Mm. It's a really common phrase that people use often, but it can be so off-putting and make you feel like it's condescending. Whenever people say that to me, my instant reaction is, well, I'm not stupid. So yeah, right. And even if I don't get it, it's putting it, it's framed in a way that I don't want to look stupid. So I'm just going to say, I understand. And so instead of saying, does that make sense? I will often say, did I explain that well? Which it opens up the conversation in a different way. And it's about me and not about anything that you've done wrong. There you go, you guys. Don't say doesn't make sense anymore. That is a very great example. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Melina, what's a new and exciting project that you're working towards that you would love to share with us? I am so excited that I've had in the works for what feels like forever. Uh, but my book is launching and officially going on sale in May 11th of 2021. And it's called What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You. That is what I'm most excited about. And of course, I'll provide you with links to share it. It's already on pre-sale. So perfect. And to you, my dear listeners, uh, or my lazy listeners, I should say sometimes the link will be on the show notes. <laughs> so you don't even have to type it up, just a tap away. Actually, as a matter of fact, go ahead and listen to the Brainy Business Podcast. It's a really great podcast, you guys. I've been listening to it since we first introduced with each other, which was like two, two three months ago. And it's really great, even for business or even for personal development. It's one of those podcasts that you can always take something out of it. And it comes with a jazzy, amazing voice. Not like <laughs> mine. That sounds like I had like 15 coffees before, <laughs> before you jump to my podcast. So it's a little yes. different. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the smooth jazz of podcasts. <laughs> there you go. She did it, you guys. <laughs> where, where can people connect with you, dear, besides the podcast? Yeah. So you can find me on all the socials as the brainy biz, B-I-Z, except actually, I guess my YouTube channel is the brainy business, but you know, brainy biz, brainy business, you can find me everywhere. Awesome. And who would be your ideal client? If somebody listens to this episode says, Hey, I think I might want to hire her. Can you give us a little bit more detail? Who would be that ideal client for you? Yeah. So I do work with all types from big corporate global entities on projects to solopreneurs. And knowing that you've mentioned that you have a lot of, I think, entrepreneurs and small business owners, I do have a membership group and courses and things that are available to make sure it's affordable and that they can still compete. As large entities are able to hire behavioral economists, uh, I don't want the solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, small business owners to not be able to use this information themselves. So I would say to check out, I have a membership group called the Be Thoughtful Revolution that is available for small business to where you do get one-on-one -on -one time with me to ask questions. I do trainings there every single week with the group. And so, you know, that would be a great place to start. Awesome. And then my very last question, which again, I have to be biased, is my favorite question of every time. <laughs> what is your personal definition of success? For me, success is being able to provide for my family doing something that I really love while having a balance, uh, you know, a life where my work doesn't necessarily feel like work. Mm -hmm. And that I can enjoy what it is that I'm doing and you know, stretch my mind while still having the capacity to have time for family and then really help with change. I, I would say the best piece of advice I ever got, my husband actually, very early on when I was starting my company, uh, you know, he said just to not 
big time people, like no matter how big you get to not say, well, that's my scheduling software. We'll take care of that. Or I'm so busy and important, but you know, making time for people to where I can still help others along the way and individuals, not just being focused on, you know, the next dollar that's coming in, but actually helping lift people up. That's success for me. Absolutely. I like that because, yeah, you definitely have to be the have the human impact at the end of the day. It's not always just business. It's connections. Yeah. <laughs> connections and creating relationships. Melina, thank you so, so much for being a part of RM Podcast FL. Any last thing you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, I end every episode of my podcast with be thoughtful. So I feel like that would be a, a thing to say here as well to just continue to be thoughtful. Awesome. And you, my listeners, make sure to tune in next Tuesday again on podcast. And until next week, be thoughtful. This podcast is a 6-7 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.